Uh, well, Michael Mangis is a professor of psychology, uh, and he writes this. He says, the human heart is constantly tempted to live under the illusion that things are fine just the way they are. But of course, things are not fine just the way they are. Uh, when I say the word therapy, uh, what comes to mind? Now, surely many different things. Uh, there's many different people with different experiences here, and maybe uh, one of the first things that comes to mind for some people is kind of a, a caricature of some sort, something they've seen on TV or in a comic. Uh, so someone's, you know, lying on a couch, a leather couch, sharing some of their thoughts and feelings uh, with a trained professional, maybe things that are keeping them up at night, whether it be, you know, problems with in-laws, um, whether it be financial issues. Oh, I wish I had locked into that fixed-rate mortgage a year and a half ago. Um, some of you may be actual therapists, psychiatrists, master of social work, um, uh, psychologists, um, but I think a lot of people will think uh, of their experience actual with, actually with therapy, uh, having gone to speak to someone about some sort of issue or challenge they're having. Now, it used to be the case several years ago that uh, people didn't talk a lot about uh, therapy. They didn't talk a lot about the experiences they had and why is that. And I think probably part of the reason was, you know, you can see when a leg is broken and uh, because you can't see some of the mental or emotional challenges or hardships that you're experiencing, some people think, well, uh, well maybe, maybe just that's less important, or maybe it's made up, or maybe it's uh, a sign of weakness. Now, fortunately, one of the good things is that I think a lot of our change, uh, feelings have changed about that. People are more open to talking about some of their experiences that they've had through the years, uh, talking to a therapist or struggling in general. Um, for example, you know, there's been a couple times in my own life when it's been a hard patch, and I'm like, you know, I just need to seek out someone who has brain training uh, to kind of help me work through some of those things. And so maybe some of you can relate to that. But uh, one of the reasons that people go to a therapist, now there's a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons they go is because they've experienced some sort of trauma. Some sort of trauma. Daniel Goleman reports about a five-year-old boy who experienced a very specific and horrific kind of trauma uh, he saw his own mother being beaten, uh, and he was hiding. Think of a five-year-old, um, how, how young and how hard that would be to see. And, and, and the five-year-old survived. The, the five-year-old was hiding under a blanket and just kind of peeked out. And, of course, later his wider family wanted to provide him with some support, and they, they weren't sure what to do. And so they took uh, him to a therapist, and the therapist found that he was silent, he simply was, just would not talk about his experience at all. And so the therapist was trying to be creative. How can, I, how can I tease out something? How can I learn more about what is going on deep within this young person? And so invited them to, to draw a picture. And so, uh, so the boy drew a picture of a race car driver with huge eyes, with very huge eyes. And, and, and what, what the therapist came to think is, you know, I think really what's going on there is that that's symbolic of of the courage and the dare it took for that young child to look out and to peer at his mother's attacker. And it was just so deep within him that he just had a hard time speaking about it. My theory here is that we, as individuals and as a society, have gone through a uh, collective trauma over the past few years, uh, that we have invisible scars. What we have experienced is different from that five-year-old boy, but like him, perhaps we don't want to talk about some of the things that we've been through. Uh, perhaps we don't know how to talk about some of the things we've experienced and are feeling. Perhaps we're simply reluctant to do so. 
right? Remember Professor Mangus, the human heart is constantly tempted to live under the illusion that things are fine just the way they are, but they're not fine. The pandemic will be studied for years as something that's had a, a lasting negative impact, and we've all read articles and seen blogs and podcasts and everything else that talks about all these things, but there's all of that. And then another layer on top of that is some of the stuff that's going on globally, you know, whether that's be, you know, the, the, the rising percentage of people annually who need humanitarian support, whether it's environmental issues, whether it's the war in Ukraine, uh, whether it's rising national and, and provincial debts, whatever it happens to be. And then there's a third layer on top of that, which is whatever personal challenges you are dealing with. And quite often, those are the things that we feel uh, most intensely because we're in every chapter of our own life, and so we feel them very closely. A recent report came out about the state of things in Canada. People have not been as discouraged in this country uh, as they have been for decades. Now, one of the good things is that more and more young people, especially as we're, we're becoming more open and talking about mental health issues and some of the challenges we experience, more are actually willing to talk about it and willing to seek professional help, but fewer and fewer of them are able to actually connect with a therapist because the wait times are so long. There's so many barriers going up. But what if we were to draw pictures, like that five-year-old boy? What might we draw if we too are struggling to put into words what we are feeling or if we are reluctant to talk about what we are feeling? Someone might draw themselves in a room alone, looking out a window, which is symbolic of the intense loneliness that they have felt, not only in the pandemic, but now that it's kind of mostly over, just emotionally. Someone else might draw a picture of them looking out a window and outside all they see is is lions. And that's symbolic of the fear they experience of getting sick when they go outside. Or the fear they experience whenever they're with more than five people at once. Someone else might draw a picture of them watching a black TV screen and that black TV screen is symbolic of every time they turn it on they see death and despair or deception or intimidation. Someone else might draw a heart of flames, symbolic of the anger that they feel. They don't know why. Someone else might draw a big rain cloud and it takes up 99% of the space on that page because that's just how they feel every single day when they get up and they don't know why and it takes a Herculean effort to get out of bed and then it makes it worse because other people just don't understand what's going on. And so my theory is that in some ways our society may need wide-scale therapy for the trauma that we have been going through. Now, a therapist uses different tools when they meet with someone. Uh, They don't just kind of randomly, you know, suggest things. Uh, The good ones don't anyway. Um, They use different things. Now, one of the tools that they use is a CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Now, I'm not a therapist, I'm a pastor, uh, but this is based on my own research, and then I talked to a practicing professional therapist who uses CBT to confirm that this kind of, these basic four steps is kind of basically what takes you through it. First, uncover unhealthy thought patterns, right, that makes sense, what's going on here? Two, encourage healthier thought patterns. Three, start to experience better feelings like joy or peace because the unhealthy thought patterns have been challenged. And so that's one of the things where people start to feel different. Okay, wait a second. Those unhealthy ways of thinking are being challenged. And wait a second, that actually feels good. And then four, start to behave differently and make healthier choices. Now, why, Matthew, are you talking about all of this tonight? Here's why. I'm not a therapist, but I'm a shepherd of souls. I'm a servant of the Word of God, and what I see is people struggling, and people are struggling in real and significant 
ways. And I think what it's very helpful for us to do is to look at this Christmas story, to look at this and use this as a tool. How can this help realign our thinking? Look at number one, two, three. How can this realign our thinking with the light of Christ and the good that God intends for us? Because if we do that seriously, what happens is there's a healing impact in our lives. And we are given help for the collective trauma that we've been experiencing. Let me say that again. If we look through the lens of this story, what happens is we start to kind of realign our thinking with the light of Christ, with the good that God wills for us in our lives, and that has a, has a healing impact on our lives, especially in the wake of some of the trauma we've experienced. So, Jen Wilkin is an author uh, and a teacher from Dallas. Uh, she says this, It's not new truths that we need, but old truths recently forgotten. It's not old truths that we need, but new truths. Sorry, it's not new truths we need, but old truths recently forgotten. And so what happened in our world in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago was intended, among other things, to be corrective to our thinking, specifically to what he comes to do for us through Jesus. So what I'm going to do is highlight four of these correctives. So each corrective has three categories. So the first category is misguided thinking. The second category is kind of a corrective that comes to us through the biblical story. And the third is, is an opportunity for us to be realigned with the reality of God because if how we're thinking and how we're functioning in our lives isn't kind of matching up with the reality of God, we're working at cross purposes. Okay? So here's example number one. The misguided thinking is that everything is random. And this is a powerful, powerful thing that's in our world these days, maybe some of you kind of buy into this sometimes. There's just atoms and just nothing is on purpose. There's no fundamental design. Everything is random. And this is something that actually can breed kind of confusion and chaos in our thinking, in our minds. And so the corrective comes to us in the scripture. Now, it's interesting because every page of the Bible is saturated with all these evidences and this information about how actually God is, of course, working specifically through our lives, but also generally through, through big-scale things that are happening. But it's interesting to see it actually taking place in the census. So when we see the census, so Joseph and Mary, I need to go to Joseph's ancestral town, and they travel there, and we think, oh, that's just interesting detail. And when they are there, it just so happens that Mary gives birth. But it's not just so happens that Mary gives birth. Because they go there, and this is because of a prophecy hundreds of years before in the prophet Micah that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so all of a sudden we realize, wait a second, God actually works through individuals and historical events. And so it looks random, but God is actually moving even through the plans of the Romans to tax people. He's working, he's making all things to work for his good purposes. And so the realignment for us is that God is in control then and now. And so we, we're going through these things in our lives and we might not really, not really understand what is going on, but he actually is on the throne. Second example. Misguided thinking, power and success are the ultimate values. Now, a lot of people wouldn't actually admit this. We would not actually say this, that our ultimate values are power and success. But you look at the world and how it functions and so many different things, and this is what we see. Gain influence. Gain certain experiences. Do this and that. You know, be upwardly mobile. Increase your buying potential, etc., etc. All these sorts of things. And success, these are the ultimate values. And so if that's actually the case then wouldn't, if God wants to spread this message in the world, he's going to go to someone who's very impressive and someone who can really get the message out, and, and the Messiah is going to be born in a great big palace that's so wonderful and, and amazing, and everyone's going to go, yay. That's right. But what is the corrective in the text? God chooses humble, devout Mary, young Jewish girl, 
as I said, probably 14, 15. And the Messiah is born in a manger, which is a feed trough for animals. Talk about a grand entrance. And so the realignment is that God works through lowly circumstances, values, humility, and faithfulness. And the same is true today. There's one of the Puritan writers, he wrote a prayer, um, Samuel Rutherford was his name. He says, uh, low is the gate to heaven. Low is the gate to heaven. Now, what does that mean? Uh, It means that no one struts into heaven. No one's there, pride, arrogance. Oh, look at how great I am. Look at what I did. No, we stoop in humility. Why? Because we are simply there because of the grace of God and Jesus, not because we are moral all-stars, because we are not. Third example, self-help is the way. Now, this is kind of the default thinking of our culture. Um, Self-help, that the answer to the issues and challenges in your life is really just all within you. It's within your heart. Self-help is an $11 billion a year book industry. Uh, Really, this whole idea is really kind of the fundamental message of every uh, Disney movie out there, and they seem to be going off the rails more and more uh, as they make them. This is the follow your heart, follow your dreams. But we're the problem. Like, my heart is so corrupted and contaminated in so many ways that we need help from an outside source. So the corrective comes in in the story of a Savior is born, chapter 2, verses 7 and, and verse 11, and it's so obvious we almost miss it that we actually need an outside rescuer to come in and offer us something that we can't actually do for ourselves. What does he rescue us from? Judgment and consequence for sin and hell and darkness in ourselves, like the list goes on and on. And the realignment is God is offering real rescue through Jesus, which is an answer so much better than anything we will get from a self-help culture. Fourth, empire and government is the ultimate source of peace and order. Now I say empire because it was the Roman Empire at the time, slash government, not be, um, this isn't anti-government or anything like that. Uh, government has a very uh, good and positive uh, role to play in many situations. But the idea is from a worldly perspective, the people top down who are kind of running the show, so to speak, are not gonna be the fundamental source of peace and order. And part of, and part of the reason why we see that played out in the story is actually it's written in a very intentional way. So in the first century, there was something called the Pax Romana which is the Roman peace. So if you are loyal to the Romans, uh, there will be order. Oh, and by the way, it's, it's often a bloody rule, absolutely. However, but all of a sudden, the angels come along and they announce, now wait a second, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And so it was a contrast narrative. It's an alternative story. Pax Romana or peace of Christ. And so the realignment for us is that God is the true author of lasting peace. These are not new truths. They are old truths recently forgotten. And remember the purpose of this. It's helpful for us to look at this Christmas story as an opportunity for us to realign our thinking in these ways with the light of Christ, the goodness that God intends for us as we realign with him. And that will have a healing function in our lives, especially in the wake of what we have been through. Realignment begins with God as the healer of souls. So earlier I mentioned that five-year-old boy who was not able to speak about his trauma, but who was able to draw a picture to communicate something that he was able to, that he was experiencing deep within himself. So I want you to invite you to imagine something. Imagine that the light of Christ and the goodness that God intends for us is actually that deeply internalized, as if it was a trauma, but it's a very positive thing that through the years we have slowly internalized this thing in our lives, and someone asks us to draw a picture, what might those pictures look like? And remember, this could be you. The first might be a 
a person there, and there's a big, beautiful chair above their head, symbolic of the throne of God and the fact that he is always reigning and ruling. And as the world around you and even some of the people in the relations around you continue to spin in the chaos or confusion and they kind of worry that threat or pain is around every corner, you can trust that God is in fact who he says he is on the throne even when you don't understand everything that's going on. The second picture might be of a person's chest and out of that chest is flowing rivers of water. And the water come and fill the room, symbolic of the humility and faithfulness that God's people are to live by. That's so, so good. And the people, the people around you, and maybe some of the people in the relationships around you as well, are drunk on pursuing success and power. But you have a deep contentment in yourself because you are walking in the footsteps of Jesus and you can sleep at night okay because you know that you are being a blessing to the people around you. The third picture might be of a large hand that is holding your house or holding your building, stopping it from falling into a a pit. And this is symbolic of the real rescue offered in Jesus. And as the world around you runs and spins for answers, and even people in the relationships around you run and spin for answers, trying to find fleeting sources of happiness, you have this firm confidence that nothing is ever going to be able to fully or finally take you from your father's grip. Fourth picture might be of a tree that stands tall and with deep roots, and those roots go deeper than even the branches go high. Symbolic of the peace that God gives to his people and the provision that he gives to them through every season of life. And as the world around you, and maybe even as some of the people in the relationships around you, worry and stress and worry and stress and worry and stress. The disaster is around every corner. You have a deep inner calm even as you sway in the storm, Because victory is always assured. It's no coincidence that the arrival of Jesus means great joy for all the people. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, your mind can't be filled with joy if it's filled with junk. Or put another way, your mind can't be joyful if it's junkful. Well, that's not grammatically correct, but go with me. Your mind can't be joyful if it's junkful. And the question I just invite us to ask on... Christmas Eve is what junk do you need to sweep away, right? So over time, maybe over the past few years, maybe even recently, we, we let kind of modes of thought and thinking, things kind of start to govern how we process ideas that are really not consistent with God's reality and which really are working against the light of Christ or the good God intends for us. The dark and degrading idea that everything is random The dark and degrading idea that power and success are the ultimate values or the dark and degrading idea that self-help is the only way. The dark and degrading idea that empire is the ultimate source of peace and order. Realignment begins with God as the healer of souls. Now, as I think about realignment, I think about my back. You know, you've got to realign backs. Um, Your tires, tires need realignment once in a while. But here we're talking about soul work. Realignment begins with God as the healer of souls. So it's been a tough couple of years. Life has been hard. In a recent devotional, Lee Krug wrote, No one's life is easy. It only looks that way from the outside in, never from the inside out. It's the story of many of us. 
So into our lives and into this world, God sends good news of great joy, which is a corrective to us from the degrading and dark thought patterns which so easily bring us down. For unto you is born, into you is born this day in the city of David, Savior, is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we're about to turn down the lights. I'm going to light the Christ candle in a moment. And I encourage you, so how it's going to work is, the, I'm going to take the Christ candle, I'm going to pass that light to two ushers. Uh, they're going to walk down the center aisle, so they'll light the candles of the people on the ends, and you'll pass it along down the side, and I'll uh, come over to the choir as well. As I do that, I just invite you to think of that maybe as an invitation, because uh, maybe, maybe in that first step of that realignment with the things of God, maybe it's a next step. Because the healing light of Christ shines brightly through our scars. And we have some. The healing light of Christ shines brightly through our scars. Amen.